Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 45, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when evening or evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. I have a question for you. I had questions last week. I have questions today. Somebody said one time, a fool can ask more questions than a wise man can answer. So I've got some questions for you. How many have ever had a problem in your life? Anybody? <laughs> okay. That's a pretty good number. You may not want to raise your hand on this one, but how many are having problems right now? And we got people that are having problems right now. Well, let me ask you this. Who expects to have some problems sometime in the future? <laughs> we all do, okay? What I'm saying is that problems are a part of life. If you are alive and you are breathing, you either have had problems, are having problems, or you will have problems. And when problems come, they may tend and may threaten to capsize our boat and cause us to drown in the midst of those problems if we're not careful. So there is a sense in which we all need to learn to walk on the water. What do you mean by that? Well, since we all have problems... We need to know where we should turn in the middle of those problems, who we should seek in the middle of those problems. Now, I'm going to regress for a moment because Dr. Vance Havner once said this, a preacher should never start his text with a verse that begins with the word and. And the reason he said that is because the word and means that something important is going on and you've just begun in the middle of it when you're reading your text. So I'm going to tell you what's happening. Verse 45 begins with the word and. So let me tell you. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Now note there it says 5,000 men. That doesn't count. The 5,000 doesn't count the women and children. Jesus had fed 5,000 people, more than that, and they had picked up all the fragments and, and everything. And now he's sending his disciples across the Sea of Galilee to Bethsaida. And what he is going to do, he is going to be alone for a while, and he is going to talk to his heavenly Father. And there's a lesson for us right there. If the Lord Jesus needed to spend time alone with his heavenly Father in prayer, folks, how much more do you and I need to spend time alone? with God. I think it's wonderful to have public prayer and we do have public prayer here in these services. But you know what? That can't substitute for that private prayer when we just get alone with God. If it's in a closet, if it's in a private place, if it's outside walking around, just get alone with God and talk to God in prayer. Now these disciples are going across the Sea of Galilee. 
I've been able to make that. We've been fortunate to make that trip across the Sea of Galilee from not all the way across because the Sea of Galilee is eight miles wide. It's 13 miles long and it's eight miles wide and we didn't make an eight mile trip but we went from Capernaum over to Tiberias on a little boat out there in the Sea of Galilee. And I've given you the size of it. The Sea of Galilee is approximately at its maximum depth 141 feet deep. Now some suggested 157. So what's 16 feet when you're talking about over 100 feet deep? But 141 feet deep, it is bordered on the east by the Golan Heights, and it's bordered on the west by the hills of Galilee. So it's sort of down in a hole. In fact, it's below sea level. Now the Sea of Galilee, also called Lake Gennesaret sometimes in the scripture, it's just a big lake. It's not an ocean or anything. It's just a big lake. It's a part of the Jordan River system. It begins with the waterfalls of Benyes and Mount Hermon, and it comes down and fills the Sea of Galilee and then runs out on the south end, and the Jordan River goes on down to the Dead Sea, which empties into the Gulf of Aqaba. So there's the terrain that we're talking about. Because of the sea's location, again, just on the west side of the Golan Heights, because of the sea's location, it's very easy for sudden and very violent storms to come upon the Sea of Galilee. The wind comes sweeping across the Golan Heights, drops off the Golan Heights, comes down and hits this Sea of Galilee. So on this occasion, the disciples are going across the Sea of Galilee and one of those storms comes up. Unexpected. Unplanned for. Except this, I believe Jesus knew the storm was coming. Because Jesus knows everything. And I believe Jesus put his disciples in that boat out on that sea knowing that that storm was coming. You say, why in the world would Jesus do that? He's going to teach them a lesson. He's going to teach them a lesson about him. He's going to teach them a lesson about faith. You know, sometimes Jesus may just allow storms to come into our lives to teach us something. To teach us to trust him. To teach us that he is in charge and to teach us that he is in control. So we're going to look at this storm this morning and what took place there on the Sea of Galilee with just three simple points. And the first one is this, the problem of the storm. The problem of the storm. See, the disciples are in the middle. Remember, eight miles across. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee when a storm comes up. Now, if you have ever been on a lake in a boat when a storm comes up, you know that's not pleasant. I remember very few things from my childhood, but one I remember is that one time we were out on a lake, our whole family, we were in a essentially a John boat, a little flat-nosed, flat-bottomed boat, and the storm comes up, and the waves are white-capping, and we're trying our best to get back to shore. You know, we don't want to capsize, we don't want to drown. That was a scary thing that took place. Listen, one of these days if it hadn't already happened or isn't happening right now, you're going to find yourself in the middle of a tumultuous problem, a tumultuous storm that's going to come in your life. See, problems come all the time, as we talked about. There are little problems that come. Sometimes there are family issues that come up, and they're, they're not major issues. They're minor issues. Sometimes there are problems about work that may come up. Sometimes for the young people, there are problems that come up at school, and so we have to deal with those problems. But then there are times when big problems come up. Big problems. Problems that are going to test your faith. Problems that are going to test your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. It may be the loss of a loved one. 
Now, if you have never lost a loved one, thank God for it. But the day's coming. Okay? Our mother used to say this, we're all going to die if we live long enough. <laughs> and it's true. One of these days, we're going to lose our loved ones. And it's going to be a, a burden to us. It's going to be a storm in our lives. It may be persecution for the cause of Christ. For those who weren't in Sunday school this morning, I really like this. The writer pointed out that you cannot argue somebody into heaven. You know, if somebody doesn't want to believe the Bible, if somebody doesn't want to believe the truth, you can argue till your face turns blue, but you're never going to convince them if they're dead set against hearing the truth. But doing that, you may endure persecution for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be a number of other reasons that big problems, it may be an illness, it may be financial, whatever it may be, but the point is just like the disciples found themselves in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a big problem, it's coming to us, folks. I think you can just look at the condition of this nation today and the anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Christian attitude that seems to prevail in the media, in the movies, in the music, in everything about us, and understand there's going to be some problems for us somewhere right down the road. So there was the distance they were from shore. They're out in the middle of the problem. There's the direction of the wind. Verse 48 says the wind was contrary to them. Now, if you grew up like I did, you know what it means to be contrary. I used to get called contrary all the time. You know? It means against. It means opposite. They're out here rowing, and the, as they're rowing, the wind's blowing in the opposite direction. You ever been on a lake trying to go somewhere and the wind's against you? Not easy, is it? In fact, somebody said this, and I like this, the harder they rowed, the more it blowed, folks. You know? They're out here rowing, and the wind is fighting them. Well, not only may you find yourself in the middle of a problem, what you may find that as hard as you're trying to make progress with that problem, there's something fighting against you. You're doing your best to solve the problem. You're doing your best to deal with the problem. But no matter how hard you try, it seems like you know the old saying, one step forward and three steps back. And I'm just dealing with this problem and I can't get anywhere with this problem. And again, has it ever seemed that no matter what you did, things just got worse? Well, just hang on. God may be preparing you for something big. God may be preparing you for something he's going to do in your life because he's going, he may be preparing you to see just how strong you are in him. See, what we learn in problems is how weak we are and how strong God is. You know, I think about the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, the 7th verse, the Apostle Paul said, there was given me, you know, he had had this vision, and he said, it was given to him, lest he be exalted above measure. He said, it was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. What's he saying? God allowed something in his life to let Paul see, you're not the most important person in the world. Do you realize that God could have done what he did without Paul? See, that's why I tell you, don't you ever give the pastor of this church any credit for anything good that goes on here. God can do it without a pastor. God can bless a church even when they have a bad pastor sometimes, you know. But praise God for his blessing. And Paul said in verse 8, I prayed three times, Lord, remove this, Lord, remove this, Lord, remove this. And God said, no. You ever been there? Dealing with the problem, you pray about it, and God says, no. No, I'm not going to do what you want. 
Instead, what did God say? He said, my grace is sufficient. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God's strength is demonstrated in our weakness. When we get in that problem, when we say, I can't solve the problem, then God's strength is demonstrated. And so Paul said, well, I'll just take pleasure in infirmities then. That's sort of an odd attitude, isn't it? Pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then what? Then am I strong. When I say I can't, and I've told you when a problem comes up, I turn to the Lord because I, I know he's right there. I turn to the Lord, I can't do this. I can't handle this. You've got it. Somebody gave a little poem about that. Lord, I can't. I never said I could. But you will, and you always said you would, you know. We just give our problems to God. And so God may choose to strengthen us through those trials. There's another saying, no pain, no gain. We have trials where we learn to trust God. And then there was the darkness of the night because it says it was the fourth watch. You know what time that was? It was between 3 and 6 a.m. Now, they had left crossing the Sea of Galilee in the first watch. That's about 6 p.m., they have been rowing since 6 o'clock in the evening. It is now between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And they're still out there. The darkest part of the night. Somebody said it's always darkest before dawn. It really is. If you'll just get up some morning just before dawn and look at it, it really gets that way. And so they're out there rowing. They've been doing it all night long. They fought the wind. They fought the waves. They fought the storms. Because sometimes the Lord will allow us to struggle with a problem. And he may leave us there a while. Why? Even to the point of the toughest situation. Lord, why would you do that? To recognize our weakness. But isn't it great to know he won't desert us in those times. Hebrews 13, 5, Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So there's the problem of the storm. But then there's also the performance of the Savior beginning in about verse 48 here. Look at what he says. It says he sees them toiling. He's walking on the water. And he would have passed them by, but they saw him. And what happened? They got scared. Well, uh, if you're out in the middle of a storm in the middle of the lake, middle of the sea, and you see somebody walking on the water, won't you get a little bit scared too? Don't laugh at the disciples. They got frightened. The scripture said they thought it was a ghost. They thought it was a spirit. But look at what Jesus said. When he appears, he says, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Now literally what he says is, Be of good cheer. It is I am. You realize the significance of that? I am was the highest name for deity that the Jews knew. Who did God tell Moses to tell Pharaoh to send him? You tell him, I am sent me. See, God is not past, he is not future, he is present. And it's always an eternal present tense with God. God is the God who is, not the God who was, not the God who will be, the God who is. And he just, Jesus just said, I am, I'm here, okay? God is present with you. That is a declaration of his deity. The disciples need to know who's with them to be able to calm their fears. And isn't it wonderful that when they thought they were seeing ghosts, they were seeing God. They're seeing the Lord Jesus walking on the water and by his presence before them, he reveals something. He says, I'm in charge of this situation. You know, we have problems come up and we think somebody else is in charge. No, God's in charge of it. If we'll give him charge of it, he certainly is in charge of it. 
And the first thing we need to do when we're faced with problems is recognize the authority and the ability of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he say in Matthew 28, 18? He said, all power, all authority. It's a word exousia. It means authority. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. We think we have some authority. We don't have any authority, folks. All authority is given to the Lord Jesus. And then he said in Ephesians, or Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3 about God, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think or ask. And that phrase exceedingly abundantly above just means from above the ordinary. It means overflowing. In other words, you just imagine the most extreme thing you can imagine. God's ability goes beyond that. God's ability goes far beyond anything that we could imagine. So we understand that when we have problems, guess who we can carry them to? Who has all ability, who has all authority, who can go far beyond anything we can imagine. That is God. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is a declaration of his deity. It's also a proclamation of his presence. Hear what Jesus said. He said, I'm right here beside you. I'm forsaken you. I haven't forgotten you. I am right here beside you. I will not leave you. Let me share this, especially for our young people. I think we older folks realize this, but especially for our young people. The most contemporary thing that you can do today is serve Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus is the most contemporary person you can know. So we have churches today that are trying to have traditional services, contemporary services. We just have services. Okay? We come and we worship God. We love the hymns. We sing the hymns here. We don't go in for a lot of other things, but we sing the hymns. We enjoy our fellowship. We enjoy the worship of God. And Jesus is contemporary. He is just as real right now, right this moment, as he was 2,000 years ago. Amen. I told you, when I'm walking through Walmart, okay, Jesus is right there. And I'll turn to I know he's with me. I know he's with me. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Is he there physically? Well, no, I know, but I know he's with me. And so I talk to him just like he's with me because he is. We're not trusting some legend from long. I've heard people talk about the Bible. Why would I be interested in a book, that, an ancient book written years ago? No, that, this is the most contemporary book you can read right here. I tell you what, you look at it. In fact, the last verse in our Sunday school lesson this morning was a quote from Isaiah when he said, The Gentiles shall trust in thy name. Woo! Most saved people are Gentiles today. God had it right. God always has it right. And so we're not trusting some legend from long ago. We're not trusting some mere teacher who has died and we're bowing down before a statue of him. We are trusting the living God. We are trusting Jesus Christ when we get into these problems. And he is alive. He gives us life. Matthew 28 and verse 20, he said, Lo, I am with you always. You go to the seventh chapter of the book of Acts, and we're not going to take the time to read that this morning. But Deacon Stephen, as life was ebbing from his body because he was being stoned to death for his witness of Jesus Christ, what did he say? He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. He's there in the midst of your problem. You know, when you're lying, and we're all going to come to this point if we live long enough, when you're lying on your deathbed just about to breathe your last, Jesus is right there. He hasn't forgotten you. Years ago, and I don't know why I thought of this when I thought of this message, there was a song by a group called the Kingston Trio. Anybody remember the Kingston Trio? There's a few old folks here. Sorry, Brother Tim, Sister Ron. 
They raised their hands. I didn't. You know. But there was a song called The Reverend Mr. Black. And the chorus of that song said, you got to walk that lonesome valley. You got to walk it by yourself. Nobody else can walk it for you. You got to walk it by yourself. And I thought about this. I thought, well, I got news for you, Kingston Trio. Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. No matter what I go through, he is with me. And so here's an announcement of his abundance. He's saying, I am with you. Don't worry, I am here. You're in a problem, don't worry, God's here. Jesus hasn't forgotten you. When Jesus is present, He's here. Jesus is what Jesus is not just what we need, folks. He is all we need. He's the problem solver. I love Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, and I've got them reversed up there, but that's okay. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, the Apostle Paul talking about the Lord, he said, My God shall supply all your need through his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. How much does God own? He owns it all. What need can God supply? Every need that we have. He shall supply all your need. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things. And he's not talking about lifting a car by himself. Didn't have cars back then when Paul wrote that. He's not talking about lifting a set of weights four or five hundred pounds. By, no, he's talking about being abased or exalted. He's talking about having everything he needs or having nothing. Paul said I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Whatever God wants me to do, whatever God wants you to do, guess what? You can do it by Christ Jesus. You may not be able to do it in your own strength, but you can do it by the Lord Jesus Christ. Just look over right quickly. And by the way, somebody took a hint last week and hung the clock back up there. Thank you. Colossians chapter 2. Turn to Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 for a moment. Talking about Jesus. Look at this. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is not just some God. Jesus is all God. Okay? He's not some step down from God, some mini God. He is God. And ye are, look at that. And ye are complete in him. How about that? And you're complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you're circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. You can be all, you remember when the army had this ad, be all you can be? Oh, listen. We can be all we can be in Jesus Christ, folks. Amen. We can be all we need to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, note that Jesus didn't immediately stop the storm. I know it seems that way when we read it in Mark, but if you look over to the 14th chapter of the book of Matthew, Matthew records something that Mark didn't record. In fact, in Matthew chapter 14, you look at verse 28, and Peter answered him, I love Peter, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Now, Lord, you said it's you, but I'm not sure it's you. If it's really you, invite me to walk out there in the water to you. That's what Peter's asking. And he said, Jesus said, come. So Jesus just said, well, come on. It's me. I'm not going to let you down. Come on. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, the idea of walking on the water here... It's like they're walking just above the water. 
So Jesus says, come on. And we read that Peter began to walk out to Jesus. But look at this, verse 30. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. Peter is walking to Jesus. Peter's got his eyes on Jesus. The water is under him. And he's walking to Jesus. But then Peter starts to look at his problem. Man, the waves are really big. Look at the way the wind's blowing this water. And the minute he takes his eyes off Jesus and puts them on the problem, what happens? He begins to sink. So he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches out his hand. And the scripture says he saves him. And then the scripture says in Mark, when he went up into the ship, the wind ceased. Remember there was another time when they were in a storm and Jesus was asleep below deck and they said, don't you care that we perish? And Jesus just walked up on deck and said, peace be still. And the storm quit. We need his peace. And he is in control of all of these things. Now listen, he may not remove the problem when we have a problem. But you know what? The Lord will just carry us through that problem. How many of you remember the little poem, I guess it's a poem, Footprints? And the guy talking about, he's saying two sets of footprints, and that's him and the Lord walking along beside each other. But then all of a sudden, in his darkest hour, he sees one set of footprints. Lord, why did you desert me? He said, I didn't desert you, I was carrying you. And sometimes it's just going to be that the Lord will carry us through the problem and may leave us in the problem for a while. Well, right quickly, what does all of this mean to me? I call it the program of the saint. We've seen the fact of problems. We've seen the answer to problems is the Lord Jesus Christ. But what's the reason for Peter walking on the water and that account and that recording of Peter walking on the water? What do we do in our problems? Well, the first thing is this, see Jesus. Just see Jesus. The disciples are fighting the wind. They're fighting the waves. And they're even fighting what they thought they witnessed because, again, they thought it was a spirit. They thought Jesus was a ghost. They saw someone out there walking in the water. They didn't know who it was, and they became frightened. But they were relieved when Jesus said, Be not afraid. It is I. It is I am. When they learned that they were seeing Jesus, look, in the middle of our problems, the first one we need to see is not the problem. We need to see Jesus. Lord, I got a problem. I can't handle it. You can. I give it to you. You just take it over. You take charge of it. Now, that does not relieve us of the responsibility of doing what we know we ought to do, okay? Jesus is not giving us an excuse for being lazy. If you're in the middle of a problem, in the middle of a difficulty, do what you know you can do and leave the rest of it to the Lord. Let him take care of it. I think I've shared with you before but I'm going to do it again. The very first church I pastored, we had a problem. We had two teenage girls and their mamas get crossways. Okay? Now you talk about, I'd never pastored. I don't know. I was pastoring six months when this came up. What do I do? I said, Lord, they're your people. You take care of it. And that taught me a lesson. I think a lot of times pastors want to run in and solve the problem. Well, I'm the pastor. I need to solve the problem. Maybe not. Preacher, maybe what you need to do is just spend some time on your knees letting God take care of the problem. Amen. Okay? In fact, not just sometime, all of the time. That's what you need to do, preacher. Get on your knees before God. Give it to God. Let him take care. And you know it did. That thing solved itself. Well, God solved it. Both families got back into church. 
And everything was wonderful. God can take care of our problems. See Jesus. Verse 48 says he cometh unto them walking upon the sea. Again, he's just walking just above the water. Here's the point of that. What threatened to be over their heads was under his feet. And in the middle of your problem, what threatens to drown you, what threatens to capsize your boat, what threatens to be over your head is under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through prayer and the word of God, we can see that Jesus is greater than our storm. Any storm that may come up in our lives, the, the, the thing that threatens to drown you in a sea of worry is at the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never been there and never seen that and never learned that lesson, I'm not wishing problems on you, but I hope the Lord teaches you that lesson. I can depend upon him. Jesus has control. He can change it. He can end it. He can ease you through it. There is no problem so big that Jesus can't handle it, and there is no problem so small that he doesn't care about it. I've used the illustration before. As a dad, I watched our children struggle sometimes with problems, and some of them were just, okay, these are children's problems, all right. But you know what? It's important to me because it affects my child. You know why it's important to God? It affects his child. If it affects you. Hear Jesus. Hear Jesus. Jesus said, it's I. And then Peter said, Lord, let me come to you. And what did Jesus say? He said, come. Come on. Now you notice Peter did not step out of the boat until Jesus said, come. All right? Because sometimes I think we want to get ahead of God. I can fix this, Lord. I don't need your help. I can handle my own problems, Lord. I don't need your help. And we get ahead of God and we just make the problem worse. Some people get anxious over the problems and they just don't listen. They don't hear. In 2 Corinthians 12 again, Paul accepted what God said. And Paul said, I'm going to leave things up to God. He can bring me through it. He can take care of this issue. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that we can do as the children of God is wait. Just wait on God. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, upon the Lord. Just wait on him. I love Psalm 37. The first seven verses. Listen to the verbs. You know what a verb is. It's an action word, okay? Listen to the verbs in Psalm 37, verses 1 through 7. Fret not thyself because of evil doers, neither be thou envious. Don't fret. Verse 3 says this. Trust in the Lord. Verse 4 says, delight in the Lord. Verse 5 says, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. Verse 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently on him. Those are all action words, but what are they saying? Wait on God. Trust God. Delight in God. Depend on God. Rely on God. See, wait is not always sitting down and doing nothing. Wait can be an activity also. Psalm 37, verse 9, evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Psalm 37, verse 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. Wait on God. Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. Hear from God. Listen to God. Hear Jesus. And then next is obey Jesus. What's the use of hearing him if you're not going to obey him? You know, the Lord says, do this. We say, well, I'll do what I want. Well, <laughs> why? Jesus said, come. And what did Peter do? Immediately, he stepped out of the boat. 
When he heard the instruction from the Lord, he did what the Lord told him to do. See, there are a lot of folks who don't like to take instruction, and so they want to follow what the Lord says to do. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, take no thought, don't worry about, be not filled with anxiety over this thing and that thing and what you shall eat and what you shall drink and what you shall put on and all those things. And there are people that worry about it. Save people, God's people, who will worry about those things even though the Lord said don't do it. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, be careful for nothing. Don't worry about even one thing. And yet there are God's people who will worry over things. Even though the Lord said through his word, don't do it. Faith is venturing absolutely everything upon God, folks. That's what it is. You know, remember the little children's song, Faith is Just Believing, what God says he will do? That's what faith is. It's trust. It's dependence. It's reliance upon God. I have come up with a little acrostic for trust. I think it's mine originally. It may not be. T, totally, R, relying, U, upon, his, S, strength, and T, truthfulness. Totally relying upon his strength and truthfulness. Folks, that's what trust is. I'm going to take God at his word. The Bible is first and foremost a book to be believed and to be obeyed Amen. above everything else. Now, are you willing to put your eyes on Jesus and not look away at the problem? Put your eyes on him. Trust him to do what he said he would do. And then prove Jesus. You say, should we put God to the test? Well, there's a sense in which you shouldn't, but there's another sense in which you should. Malachi, God says, prove me. And what he's saying is, you do what I tell you to do and see if I won't keep my word. That's what it means to prove Jesus. That's what it means to prove Jesus here. How do you prove Jesus? By doing what he said. Jesus says, step out on the water. Peter stepped out on the water. He did what the Lord said to do. We prove him by seeing, by hearing, and by obeying. Because he promised not to let us down. God has never failed to keep his word, has he? I expected a whole lot of amens from that, but I didn't get them. God has never failed to keep his word, has he? Thank you, that's a little better. We need to wake everybody up or something. I don't know. What's... If you look in these verses in Matthew 14... What you see beginning in about, about verse 30, all the way to the time that they went into the boat, Peter didn't drown, okay? What do they call it? Spoiler alert. Peter didn't drown, and you won't either. If you will trust Jesus, you will not drown. Your boat won't be capsized. He will take care of you. When did Peter start to sink? When he took his eyes off Jesus. Listen, you may fail Jesus. But he will never fail you. Amen. And then worship Jesus. This is found in Matthew's account of it in verse 33. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him saying of a truth, thou art the son of God. Mark says in verse 54, he said that after these incidents, these knew Jesus. Now he's not talking just intellectually here. It's possible to know Jesus intellectually and never trust him. Well, I know who Jesus is. Yeah, but do you know him well enough to trust? He said they knew Jesus, but of a truth. And that's what that means. They knew him from experience. We were out in this ship. We were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. The storm came up and Jesus came along 
and brought us to shore. We have an experience now. And that experience is that Jesus is true to his word. That Jesus can take care of our problem, of our situation. You see, there are some folks that don't have that knowledge. Some saved folks who don't have that knowledge. You know why? They've never experienced it. They have never trusted Jesus one moment in their lives except to save them. And what I've said before is the most valuable thing that you have is your spirit that's going to live into eternity. You can talk about houses and lands and money and all these things. They pale in comparison to your spirit. And Jesus has saved it and Jesus keeps your spirit. The Apostle Paul said, I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul knew he was saved, sealed, and secure for eternity. And so are you. But some people, that's all they've ever done is trust Jesus. And the most important thing they have, they've given to him, but they won't trust him with their everyday lives. No, trust Jesus. That's, that's all you have to do. And you will find through experience that Jesus is just as true as he ever said he was. How can I know this? Because it was the storm that brought Jesus near to this boat. And God may have to put us in the middle of a storm, folks. In the smack dab, as we used to say growing up, middle of a storm. So we will learn that Jesus is right there. The next time that you have problems, just look for Jesus Christ in the middle of your problems. Turn to him. Don't look at the problem. Put your eyes on Jesus and tell everybody what you see. We're going to have storms in our lives. That's normal. Somebody said, another old saying, into each life a little rain must fall. Well, you change that to storm and it'll be more correct. Into each life some storms must come. Problems and difficulties, as I said, are just a part of life. And if you're alive, if you're living and breathing, you've either had them, are having them, or will have them. But problems do not have to destroy us, and problems do not have to destroy our testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. God can use problems to build up our faith, just like he did with Paul. What did Paul say again? He said, I'm going to glory in tribulation. I'm going to stand for the Lord. I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to trust in God. And whatever he does is going to be right, and so I'm just going to glory in that. In closing, there's a line. I love the song, Through It All. Andre Crouch is the first time I heard it. Heard him sing it. Love to hear him sing it. You know, I think he's speaking from experience and from his heart when he sings that song. Through it all. And one of the lines of that song is this. If I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in his word could do or in the Lord could do. And then he says this. Through it all, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. I love that song. There's another one I love to hear Dallas Holmes sing, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. That's from the Psalms, or their seed begging for bread. As we wrap this up, let me ask you this. Are you having problems today? Do you have problems today? You say, preacher, everything's going wonderful. I don't have any problems. Well, just wait. You say, what, are you trying to wish the moment? No. See, I've lived a few years in this thing called life, and I figured out problems are sort of like debt. Well, we get a bill paid off, and we think, boy, I've been rid of those payments, and I don't have them anymore. What do we do? We go out and charge something else, so we have to pay for it, too. So about the time we get rid of one debt, we get another one. Well, about the time you get rid of one problem, guess what? 
There's another one out there. Got your name on it. It's waiting for you. But we don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid because Jesus Christ is there. Give him your problems. And mankind's greatest problem is his lost condition. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're born sinners separated from God. But God loved us enough that he sent Jesus to die on the cross. See, there's Jesus again to die on the cross. That through turning to God and putting our faith in the shed blood of Jesus, applying his blood by faith, we can and we will be saved. So if there's someone here today not saved, your biggest problem is you're lost. You need to be saved because if you die lost, you're going to hell. You say, preacher, don't say that anymore. This one does. The Bible does. If you're lost and you die lost without Jesus Christ, you're going to go to hell. And it's not a place you want to be. This modern society wants to portray it as sort of a party time, you know, fun time. There's not going to be a fun time in hell. The place where the fire is not quenched, the scripture says, where the worm dieth not. So if you're lost, you need to be saved. If you're saved and you're having problems, give the problems to Jesus.